This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul. Some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms, but do subscribe to the Mark Dolan YouTube channel where you can see the show every week. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. As always, I've got some amazing life hacks. I've got some inspirational messages for you with which to have a happier, more successful and fulfilled life and some of my favourite products of the week. Let's start with an amazing travel hack. The worst thing that can happen to you when you go abroad is to lose your wallet. And the reason why is because then you can't pay for things. And as you know, money is a very good way of getting you out of trouble and you don't want to be in trouble when you're overseas. So what you do is you have your regular wallet with your credit cards in or whatever you've got, your bank card, and then you have a separate dedicated credit card which lives in your hotel room or at your accommodation. It does not go with you when you're out and about exploring the world. Um, So essentially it's a spare credit card, and it means that if your wallet is stolen, it's not game over because you go back to your hotel room or wherever you're staying and then you just live off the other spare card for the rest of the trip. It works brilliantly. Now, if you're worried about security, there are a couple of um, really good options because some people don't like the idea of a credit card that's just sort of hanging around somewhere else. It's like, how do I keep up with it? What if what if the spare credit card gets stolen and I didn't notice because it's not a credit card I'm using on a day-to-day basis? Well, there are two options there. First of all, uh, most or many credit card companies will send you a credit card that does not have a contactless uh, functionality. So, for example, um, you'll know with a credit card that you've got the little symbol which tells you your credit card will work on contactless. Um, You can normally call them and get them to send you one which is not contactless. So the only way that it unlocks money is with a PIN number. Uh, which is pretty much bulletproof. So that's the first thing. Also, if it's a Visa credit card or MasterCard, you're protected anyway. Even if somebody were to steal your spare credit card, you didn't even know about it, um, you're not liable, even with the contactless. So somebody grabs that spare card and starts tapping it and having a great time. um, You will be covered. But it really is a game changer. Otherwise, if you're abroad and you don't have your credit cards, I mean, you're absolutely buggered. You're in real trouble. So that's what I would recommend. There is another option, which is to purchase a special kind of credit card, which will have Visa or MasterCard on it. But it's a prepayment card. And what that means is that you just have the money that you've put into it. So for example, let's say you want to just put a balance of £200 on there, you put the money in. Again, it's protected by Visa in case the card is stolen, but it's not an infinite amount of cash. It's just the amount of balance that you've personally put on yourself, uh, which is really good. Um, It raises a wider issue of credit cards. They are the worst way to borrow money. You're looking at an annual interest rate of 15 20, 25%, right? Shocking amount of cash. So they're not viable really, other than paying off the full amount every month. However, credit cards are fantastic as emergency money. 
And here's the other thing, and I'd recommend this especially to young people, but really anybody that's got issues with their credit history, you need to apply for a simple credit card. And it can be the worst deal with a really high interest rate, very unattractive product. But what you do is you apply for it, you get it. When you receive the credit card, you cut it in half and you throw it away. You destroy the credit card. And therefore, there's no spending on that card. But every month, the credit agencies will register that you have paid the balance in full. So get yourself a ghost credit card, an invisible credit card that you know nothing about, that can't be stolen because you've just thrown it away. But the active account will tell the authorities that you are a safe bet when it comes to being lent money. And what's brilliant is that within a year, you'll have a credit score and it will say, oh, well, there's this Capital One or any other brand you choose to mention. This card has been paid in full for a year. That is a five star stellar performance from that particular borrower. So there you go. Get yourself a credit card. Don't use it and boost your credit rating. And there you are. And the other thing about credit cards is that, you know, you shouldn't. And of course, it's very hard at the moment. We're in a cost of living crisis, but it's really suboptimal to use your credit card for things like food or holidays or, or anything, really. I mean, they're just bad news. But if you've got the self-discipline and if you can trust yourself, they are fantastic for a rainy day for an emergency. So I was away a few months ago and my son broke his, broke his wrist and we had to go like the nearest hospital was a private hospital. Now, I was going to kind of claim it all back on medical insurance, but they needed 500 quid. And that was not money that I had in my account, but I had my spare credit card, the one that I don't use much. And bang, we've paid it. And then we get the older, uh, we get the arm treated. So if you can be trusted with the potential firepower of a credit card, I think it's a good idea. If you're somebody that can't and you don't trust yourself and you're just going to basically have a credit card and have a brilliant time with it, then don't have one at all. Um, but I still think that my policy of getting one and not using it is, is good for people that have no self-control because by throwing away the card, you're not even giving yourself the ability to use it. Um, something that I would recommend to you when you um, go about your life is to hide items in order to make your life more convenient. So for example, I don't know about you, but when I go shopping, oh, I'm trying on clothes and stuff. I don't enjoy having lots of coats on and carrying a bag and walking around the shop. It's such a hassle. You take all that stuff off, put it back on again. And so I've got a very naughty trick. And, and this is a trick, which is basically, you know, it's deeply irresponsible for me to share it with you. But look, I do it occasionally. This show is about you. It's about me imparting my life experience to you. Um, and just when you're feeling cheeky, try this. So if you're in a shop and you want to kind of just be free and try stuff on and look around and not be encumbered with coats and jackets and umbrellas and God knows what else. Uh, what you do, you you take your, you get your jacket, right? You get your wallet and your keys all and your mobile phone, right? All the important stuff and make sure that then you've got that with you. But so remove valuable items and then you take the big coat off fold it up and just hide it somewhere in the shop, right? I sometimes put it underneath um, the, the the rails where all the, you know, where, where the clothes are actually kept. Oh, you find a, a little cubby hole somewhere, just shove it behind a lighting unit. God knows this is such naughty advice and I feel like I'm in trouble already. 
But um, essentially what you've done then is you've, and it could work even, even with a bag or, or, or anything else, uh, take out the valuable stuff and then hide, hide it. And then you're free. So that means that if I'm in a shop, then I can go around and I'm just in a T-shirt and shorts. I've got nothing else. I can just try things on and walk around and it feels amazing. Um, the hiding works for lots of other stuff. So I was a while ago in a nature trail on a walk and I, I actually had a bag with me and it was just like full of stuff, like annoying things like groceries, nothing valuable. So I took my bag and I hid it in some bushes. And then I had a lovely walk without the heavy bag. And then on the way back, I could collect my bag. Now, what's the worst case scenario? Someone's going to steal the bag, steal my milk. Well, what the hell? A price worth paying. Um, my other half, my missus, has an electric bike. And that's very good. But what she does is sometimes uh, she'll park the bike and she doesn't want the battery to be stolen because that's the most valuable part of the bike. So she locks up the bike and then she takes the battery out. And again, she'll hide the battery somewhere in the bushes, behind a road sign, you name it. She just puts it somewhere. Obviously, you are risking it not being there when you come back, but it's the convenience that makes it worth worth the, uh, worth the gamble. And um, again, just a brilliant life hack. So just it's the same with nightclubs or you go to a party or anything. You just hide things and then and then um, you are free and unencumbered. Let's talk about a book that changed my life. This is the point in the show where we're going to get quite uh, spiritual and psychological. And this is a game changing solution for managing your emotions. It's called The Chimp Paradox. It's a book by the excellent Professor Steve Peters, who has helped a lot of athletes achieve huge sporting success with his emotional management techniques. And it's very simple. Um, he, he offers the idea that inside our brain is this cheeky little monkey. It's a chimpanzee monkey. It's a chimp. And really, your brain is in three parts, okay? You've got this cheeky little animal in your head, which is the chimp. You've got your personality. That's just you. That's your soul. It's who you want to be. It's what you are. It's you. And then the third thing is the computer. And that's basically like a big memory stick. And that is just a record of everything that's ever happened to you in your life. It doesn't have an opinion. It's just all there, written down and on the, uh, on the memory stick. And what he explains in The Chimp Paradox is that everything that happens to you in your life and every encounter is always led by the chimp. It's not led by the computer. It's not led by you, yourself and who you are. It's led by this separate creature, which is not you, that inhabits your brain. Uh, now, you might think this is all a bit bonkers and a bit what the hell. But let me reassure you, first of all, the book has sold millions of copies and it's helped so many people and it's very simple. But also it's rooted in psychiatry and psychology and science. Um, Steve Peters is not just some kind of, you know, crackpot, um, self-appointed um, psychological idiot. He is a psychiatrist. So it's rooted in science. It's uh, it is the real deal. And but what they've done is he has simplified it with the chimp, the computer and then you. 
And so essentially, in order to survive as a species, we've always had to be alert to threats. And that's why we have been designed to respond emotionally to everything first. Okay, And that's because 100,000 years ago, you're in the woods and you, you, you hear some the sound of a creature near you. And that's the point where you panic and think, bloody hell, is it a tiger? Is it a lion? Is it a snake? You overreact. Uh, nature wants you to overreact to the, to the sound of some creature nearby because that's how you will survive and not die because you're alert to the threat. You react to it. So it's emotion first. And then you either run away or you identify it's not a snake, it's just a rabbit. And then you can relax again. But the mechanism of the chimp is kind of worst case scenario. Oh, shit, I'm about to die. And you'll agree that's a very efficient survival mechanism. If we didn't have the chimp and we heard some noise in the undergrowth and there was a creature nearby, and we're like, yeah, whatever, it's probably a rabbit. If it turns out to be a lion or a snake or a tiger, it's too late. You're in trouble. So it served us well. And it's why we're all still here today and why we are the king and queen of the species. But in the modern world, with all of the pressures that we have, with a nine to five job and bills and modern life, is that this emotional response to everything is not helping us. Because now what's happened is that the chimp is dictating so much of our lives. So let's imagine that, you know, you have a situation at work and you're not getting on with someone. Then you overreact and you feel like, oh, Steve in accounts hates me and this is a real problem and it just dominates your thoughts. It affects your productivity. It affects your mental health. The same in relationships. Your partner makes a remark. What did he or she mean by what they said? What well, might have been perfectly reasonable, but you've jumped to a conclusion that no, they hate me and it's all over. And so so many transactions in life are, are negative because of our emotional response. And the idea of the book is that you train this chimp because the problem is you can't stop the chimp being the first the first port of call of information. Anything that happens to you, the chimp gets the news first. OK, so we don't have any choice about that. Human beings react emotionally to all information until then you can make a rational decision. Sadly, the rational brain does not come first. It's always the chimp. You can't kill the chimp, okay? The chimp is just there. It inhabits your brain. And the thing about the chimp is the chimp is either your best friend or your worst enemy. So let me give you an example. The day before a really important job interview, okay, which could be a game changer in your life, the chimp, right? This is the naughty voice in your head, in other words, will say, I know you've got this job interview tomorrow, but... Uh, your, your mate Steve's asked you out for drinks and it's an amazing bar and it's happy hour from six till seven and the cocktails are the best. And I know you got this interview tomorrow, but oh man, those cocktails are delicious and they're half price and you want to see Steve. It's been a while and you only live once and I'll be fine tomorrow. I'll get through it because I'm a bit of a legend. So the chimp can often be this naughty voice. The chimp might also say, uh, you know that person you're not in a relationship with? They're very attractive, aren't they? Why don't you go and sleep with them? Now, this is against your best interest because you're in a long-term relationship, but the chimp is telling you to be disloyal. Um, the chimp might tell you that when you're using the self-checkout at the supermarket, they're not going to notice that fillet steak, are they? You've, you put everything through, you buzzed everything through the barcode, 
that other one can just go in your bag, right? That's a crime. That's against the law. But the chimp might just say, go on, you'll get away with it. It's happened to a lot of high profile people. Um, There's just, there's all little naughty things that we've done or that we do. And they are the responsibility. They're caused by this little chimp in your head. So the chimp can be really bad news, right? Those are all negative examples of the chimp. But the chimp can also be your best friend. So for example, the chimp might say, hey, um, go and ask the boss for a pay rise. Come on, you're underpaid. And that's a very welcome emotion that comes from the chimp. And it might just give you the courage to say, hey, boss, I know the company is going through a challenging time, but I'm delivering so much value and I'll deliver even more value if you can find a way of remunerating me better. Okay, the chimp might just spark you into action. Um, The chimp might, um, might, let's say you're single and you're at a party and you see someone really attractive that you like the look of. Uh, Without the chimp, you'll probably just sit there go, oh, what's the point? Whereas the chimp might just say, go on, what the hell? You know, you could go under a bus tomorrow, go and say hi. And so the chimp there in both those examples is a very positive force. And you might find that those little moments in your life when you've been brave and you've taken the leap in one way or another, and you've been bold, um, that will be down to the chimp who coaxed you into it because the chimp's a bit crazy and can make you do good and bad things. But he or he or she, the chimp, right? We'll have it down as a male. Um, the chimp will uh, will dictate that. By the way, you can give your name a chimp and it can be a boy or a girl. And because it's a creature that lives within you, um, it's up to you to de- define this creature. The important thing to understand is that the chimp is not you. It is a separate thing. And the problem is that the chimp is at odds with you. And that's the personality bit, which is the other part of your brain. Um, So I'd recommend you read the book. Nothing beats reading the book. I will recommend a lot of books, self-help books, all sorts of other inspirational uh, books. And I will always say, go out and buy it. So go and buy The Chimp Paradox. But I just want to give you the basics of it, which is that you want to train the chimp, not kill the chimp. And it's exactly like, as Steve Peters mentions in the book, if you own a dog, that dog can be unruly, right? Runs away, gets hit by a car, attacks strangers, uh, poos on the living room carpet, right? An out of control dog, right? That's not good news, is it? You don't want that. However, A dog that is trained, and when you say sit, it sits. And when you say come here, it comes to you. Um, And it doesn't bite strangers. Well, it's the same creature. Both dogs are the same. It's just that one's trained and the other one isn't. One serves its master. It's still a dog. It's still got its own ideas. Still a separate creature with a personality. But it's been harnessed by the master, by the owner. Well, that's what you've got to do with your own chimp. You're not killing the chimp, you're training the chimp. So I'll give you an example of how you can do that. And I will tell you a story of Benny. And Benny is outside the cinema and he's really excited because there's going to be a new movie. Isn't it? it is a new movie called, it's a Marvel, right? It's one of those uh, super, super... Um, superhero movies which aren't really my bag I'll be honest with you but there you go but look so he can't wait for this he has been talking about this superhero movie Benny for for months and it's finally come out 
and the movie starts at 7.30. So he says to his girlfriend, hey, listen, can't wait for, for, the, for the movie. Um, shall we meet after work at 7.15 so that we've got time to like go in, buy tickets, buy popcorn? She's like, yeah, brilliant. Let's do that. Quarter past seven. Uh, and then we're, we're uh, we'll watch the movie at 7.30, right? That sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? All is good with the world. And, and Benny is so excited about this film. Well, Benny gets there at 7.15 and his girlfriend, Claire, is not there. And he's thinking, this is a really big day. This is, I've been waiting for this for months now. And it's quarter past seven. We made an arrangement. She is not here. That is bad. And already he's like, you know, now, don't forget, the first reaction does not come from his personality and it doesn't come from information from the computer, from, from the life experience, the, uh, the memory stick. The first, the first moment in this drama is responded to and received by the chimp. The chimp's at the front of the queue. So the chimp's like, it's quarter past seven and she's not here. What the hell? So the chimp is angry and agitated. Now, this is already unhelpful to you. You do not want to be led by anger or agitation. Anyway, it gets to 20 past. The chimp's getting angrier. Claire's still not there. 25 past. Claire's still not there. Oh my God, half past, no show. At this point, the chimp is saying to Benny, um, this is a horrible girlfriend. Um, you you know, you chose the wrong person. What an insult. She knows how important this movie is to you. And she has turned up late. She's not even here. She's uncaring. She's dreadful, dreadful. And you know what? You probably don't want this person in your life. And you hate her now. And she's just evil and... Everything about her is, is what's wrong with the world, right? And so, do you know what happens? And this, by the way, is still in the first option, which is with the chimp untrained and controlling you. She turns up at 7.45, okay? Now, the movie will have just started by then. She turns up, she's in a sweat, and he just gives her a mouthful, okay? All led by the chimp. He's like, you know, Claire... I'm so annoyed about this and I will never forgive you and you've insulted me and you know that I was really looking forward to this and I hate you and you're dumped and get out of my life and just go away and never darken my corridors again. Just basically that's it. He dumps her. He just chucks her. Okay. Now I know it's an extreme example, but there, you know, days when you've reacted emotionally to something and it's been quite negative or destructive. So he flies off the handle. He's shouting. And she goes off in tears <coughs> before she's even said a word. Now, that entire encounter was dominated by the chimp. And anybody that's got problems at work, mental health issues, financial problems, addiction issues, uh, lack of career progression, anyone that's got problems can probably locate or identify the chimp as being responsible, okay? And that's why the book will not just improve your mental health, but it can transform your income, your professional success, and it can improve your relationships. And here's why. Because the new model, the chimp paradox model, okay, we're going to go through the cinema story again, but we're going to do it the Steve Peters way this time with a trained chimp. And the way you train your chimp is you talk to your chimp, okay, through thoughts. 7.15, you're at the cinema Okay, Benny is at the cinema at 7.15 and Claire's not there. And he's like, oh, it's 7.15 and Claire's not here. 
Well, do you know what? The movie doesn't start till 7.30. So worst case scenario, we will bomb it in at 7.29. We just bomb it in. Do I need the popcorn? If there's time, great. But I want to see the movie. It's about the movie. So worst case scenario, we'll get in there. I won't have popcorn, but I get my Marvel movie that I've been waiting for months for. So that's already a positive mindset is that, okay, you know, she's not here. Um, There must be some reason. It's now 20 past and he's like getting agitated because he's thinking, well, you know, the the little chimp is going to go. But he just thinks to himself, well, uh, who knows what's happened? Maybe there was an issue at work. Um, Maybe the bus broke down, you know. Anything could have happened. He gets a 25 pass. Now he's, again, the chimp is, you know, scratching away with the emotions. But, you know, and he is, we're not denying that he is unhappy at this point. Okay. But he's still got that chimp trained up and and he's communicating with the chimp. And he's getting into worst case scenarios now, which is, well, it's 725. It's looking really dodgy. I don't think I'm, I'm, we're running the risk of not seeing this film. But you know what? There is a later showing at 9.30 and it's going to be on tomorrow and it's going to be on all weekend and it'll also be streamed in a few months as well. I will eventually see this film. Perhaps it's not going to be tonight. Now, do you see how that whole encounter, right, is so different because of the the management of the chimp, the management of the emotions and bringing in the rational side, bringing in you the human being that you are because you love Claire and she's an amazing girlfriend and you're not going to like throw her under the bus. You're just thinking, well, there's a reason she's late. Let's let's hear her out. Anyway, do you want to know how this pans out? Claire turns up in a sweat at seven, whatever, 7.45. Okay, she's 15 minutes late. The movie started. Absolute disaster, right? And she says, Benny, I'm so sorry I'm late. Okay, now don't forget that previously he shouted at her and dumped her. But this time his reaction is she's turned up. Let's hear what's happened. Let's get the information and then I can react. So she says, Benny, I was on my way here and I witnessed an old lady being run over by a taxi. Uh, She she hit the ground. Uh, There was blood coming from her head. Um, She she turned a very grey colour. She was pale. She was cold. I took my coat off. I put it over her um, and I waited until the ambulance came and the police wanted me to give a witness statement, which is why I had to stay even longer. I'm really sorry that I'm late for this movie and let's just go and see it the next time we can. Or if you want, we can we can go in halfway through, which, by the way, can we all agree that you cannot go into a movie once it started? Absolutely non-negotiable that's not going to work but anyway at this point benny's not going to be angry even with the chimp in charge because you know the chimp is not stupid and is that well she's witnessed an old lady being run over she's got to give a witness statement make sure the lady gets off to hospital no one no one could get cross with claire but the crucial thing is that before that the chimp wanted to just go crazy and give claire hell but you allowed your personality, you, you, the human being that you are, to negotiate with the chimp, to settle the chimp, to nourish and reassure the chimp. And that's why the chimp changed his or her behavior is because you had 
a little bit like a dog, you know, you need to train dogs, right? The reason why you, how you get them to sit or how you get them to like bring them to heel and get them to come near you or not run across the road. The way you do that is that when they do what you ask them to do, you stroke them on the head, you say, well done, and you give them a little doggy treat. Well, that's that's all you're doing with the uh, with the chimp. It's exactly the same thing. You're just going to manage that relationship. So there you go. Uh, what then happens? Well, um, Benny and Claire decide that they're going to go to the later showing and therefore they go off to a restaurant, right? And they have a lovely meal before the movie and Benny's talking about, oh, you know, I can't wait for this film and what do you think is going to happen with the characters? And they can speculate as to what the storyline's going to be and they can enjoy a lovely dinner. And then at their leisure, they go into the movie house, particularly early because now they're going to the later showing. They watch the movie and they go home and it was just the perfect day. But it was the perfect day because Benny had managed his emotions. Benny had trained the chimp and reassured the chimp. Anyway, that's it. It's phenomenal. Um, it's helped me massively because I'm in show business and in the entertainment industry and in show business, uh, there's a lot of rejection. You know, I mean, I'll be honest, there's rejection in every, every industry, but you do have to have quite a thick skin. As a comedian, you can be telling your jokes and the audience don't laugh or they can heckle. You can have a bad night. Um, similarly, there will be opportunities in broadcasting and you think I should be doing that show and then it goes to someone else. Right. That's really tough. Um, and so I felt like for years I was on a bit of an emotional roller coaster where you get good news and you're happy, bad news and you're really depressed. And it's like it's not a good way to live your life. It's unhealthy. And it's because I hadn't read The Chimp Paradox and I was always led by my emotions. So if something good happens, such as, hey, here's this uh, glamorous new job that we want you to do, then of course you're happy and the chimp's happy and you're happy. But then if there's another thing, an opportunity you should have got you didn't get, then the chimp's like, oh God, you're in the wrong business. You're talentless. You're useless. You're, you're not uh, worthy. And that's really bad. So let me tell you now that if, I mean, let's just give you a work scenario. OK, let's think of a really bad scenario, which is that the boss gets you in and says, Mark, you're fired. OK, again, the chimp reaction is just, oh, my God, I'm going to starve to death. I'll never work again. Um, they hate me. And I'm going to lose everything I value and I'll just be on the streets next Tuesday. There are people that are living hand to mouth, but there are not that many people who will be on the streets next Tuesday if they get fired. But if you allow the chimp to dictate that emotion, the boss has just fired you. Well, then you're guaranteeing future failure because you're in such a state of panic. Nothing ever good. No sensible decisions were made when you're in an emotional and panicked state. <clears throat> so instead, what you do is you go in and the boss says you're fired. And you come out and this time, a little bit like the second story with the cinema, you say, and you can write it down if you want, you can write a list, you can say, okay, uh, this is bad because by the way, you cannot bullshit the chimp, okay? You can't lie to your chimp and go, this doesn't matter, you're going to win the lottery tomorrow because you don't know that you can win the lottery. The chimp will not buy it. That's not, that's not a serious plan B is we're going to go and win the lottery tomorrow. So you must, you must reassure the chimp with authentic and realistic truths, right? Actual things. So here's what you do. You've just been fired and you sit down with your chimp and you say, 
this is really bad. I won't, I won't, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, mislead you on that one. But if I no long, longer have a job, that buys me time and an opportunity to find a job that was better than the one I've been fired from. Because it's highly likely that you weren't wildly happy in that job. Because, I mean, if you've been fired, it's probably not a great setup in the first place. They don't value you if they've fired you. So you already have time, right? You lose your job, you have time. Now, that is a resource, okay? That is like money. Um, yes, of course, it's a nightmare and you've got your bills and your rent. But just, you know, that is a positive of getting fired is that you will have time. And no one could disagree that time is useful. So you tell the chimp that. You go, listen, you've got time. Um, you can have a think about what you'd like to do next. You can find a better job. You've got time now to get your CV together or get other materials together that would help you get employed. Maybe you're sick of being fired. You never want that to happen again. And so this time we'll start a business from the kitchen table. Uh, or maybe having been a management consultant or an accountant wasn't for you. You weren't happy anyway. This was the opportunity to go and become a circus performer or a belly dancer or anything else, an airline pilot. So you've been fired and it's presented you with an opportunity to rethink your life, to get a better job, to upgrade from where you were, and you've got time with which to do it. Another way, another thing is that, well, they fired me. That means they didn't like me. They didn't value me. Did you want to be somewhere where you weren't valued? You've actually had a lucky escape because they've clarified with the with the decision to sack you that they didn't value you. Do you want to be somewhere where you're not valued? No. So it's exactly like a relationship. If someone cheats on you or someone dumps you, I mean, that's always good news because if they cheat on you, right, that means that somebody that would cheat on you is, is no longer in your life. You don't want the cheater in your life. So by cheating on you, they've done you a favour. It's like, well, thanks for cheating on me because I didn't realise you were such a horrible person or so disloyal. Um, and if someone dumps you, it's like, yeah, do dump me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I'm not going to make myself be with, be with you if you don't want me then I don't want to be there. You know, you should only be with an employer that values you and regards you highly. You should only be in a relationship where you're valued highly. So if they behave terribly or they dump you, you're like, good. It's, it's almost like the acid test of a good relationship. So that is it. And, you know, ah, ah. and then the other thing to say, if you're, you know, let's say you get fired. And it's only an example. It's just a template of the more positive way of thinking and constructive and nourishing that chimp is you can also make a plan. So you say to the chimp, and here's here's my five-point plan as to how I'm going to get a new job. And I will draw up a new CV and I will contact that person I used to work for who's in the industry, who can give me some advice. We'll go for a coffee and they're going to give me, help me make a plan. And then there's also that company I, I went to before and I did the interview and it went quite well, but I didn't get the job. Why don't I go back to them and say, hey, it was great to meet you a couple of years ago. I'm in the uh, I'm in the jobs market. Have you got any new openings? And so what you do is you go through and you think, what little things can I do that will help me get a new job? You make that plan. Now, what that will do is that will reassure and it will settle the chimp. And this is a big good chimp management is key to general overall health because let's say you've been fired and you manage the chimp and you go through these rational arguments about how in a way it's a lucky escape. 
it's an opportunity. Now you've got time. You can rethink your whole life and your whole career. You can recalibrate and maybe get a better paid job at the end of it. Um, you're going to sleep better that night. Right? It's the day you've been fired. You're going to sleep well. And the reason why is because you have reassured the chimp. And the chimp knows as, as you go to bed that when we wake up tomorrow, we're going to make a big pot of coffee and we're going to start work on that plan. And we've got time because we've been fired. And ideally, normally, if you've been fired, you would have a month or so of money. So that's a few weeks with which to um, get yourself going. Amazing. It's honestly changed my life now because if anything happens to me, I I, I just process it. The, the chimp's still front of the queue, but I, I process it calmly. I negotiate with the chimp. So let's say <clears throat> that I wanted to do some broadcasting project and I did not get it. I will just say, OK, I think it's because, well, I think, first of all, you know, you might say that it was a bit of luck involved. It's a bit of a lottery and it just didn't come around your way. Think of the times when you got things you didn't deserve. So this time it didn't go your way. C'est la vie. Um, but then you think to yourself uh, also, Maybe I didn't get that job because I needed to be better in this or that department. So what I'll do now is I'll take the rejection and I will use that to make myself better. So let's imagine that you were auditioning um, to to be in a musical, okay, and you didn't get it. You're like, well, my singing could be better. So I'll go and get singing lessons. And that means that when you get the next audition, well, you're singing better because you've had singing lessons. You've Use the rejection of not getting the part in the musical to then improve that thing, you know. So you take something negative and use that as an opportunity uh, to improve yourself and also that you're philosophical about it. And all of it boils down to emotional management and training that chimp. That is the chimp paradox. Um, you can hear it on audiobook. I think it's on Audible. And Steve Peters, I've interviewed him. I met him. He's a great guy and very inspirational. But this will change your life. Okay, every interaction, just manage the emotions first. Now, listen, um, we're doing quite well. I mean, I've just got maybe one or two other quick things. Um, you need a product of the day. It's a very busy show today, isn't it? I am going to give you a a a, a product I'm very excited about, and it is a steam generator iron. Now, irons traditionally work on the basis that you have this element and then this hot plate, the kind of smooth irony bit. Now, all it really does is it's just a device that gets incredibly hot. And what you do is you rub it on your clothes and there may be a steam element to it. And there normally is. But essentially, it's a hot plate uh, with a bit of steam. And therefore, you are essentially cooking your clothes every time, right? You are. I don't know if you've ever had this, but I get this with um, a couple of suits I've had that when I iron the suit, it becomes a bit shiny, right? The finish of the material is a bit shiny. And the reason why is you've essentially sort of scolded. You've slightly melted your clothes. So traditional irons are really bad. They're actually bad for your clothes. Imagine it, right? You just try touching an iron. You're going to burn your hand. Do you really want to put that on your much-loved cotton shirt or your suit or your dress or your silk top? You know, it's a disaster. So they are so... They are so arcane they are so um rudimentary irons and it's amazing that the technology hasn't hasn't uh, sort of caught up so 
that is bad. And they are hazards. The other thing is they're a hazard, right? Because, I mean, if you leave it down on the clothes, you can burn your clothes. It can cause a fire. I generally fine. And the worst are hotel irons. How bad are hotel irons? Um, what I tend to do is I, I might be, uh, you know, outside um, my hometown and I'm doing an event somewhere. or Maybe I've got to dress really smartly. And I use the hotel iron. And the first thing it does is vomits on my shirt. Have you ever had that? The, the kind of rusty vomit, the kind of lime scaly um, detritus that pours out of a hotel iron. It's never a good brand, is it? It's never Rowenta or Russell Hobbs or Tefal or anything like that or Philips. It's always some weird generic brand um, called Wakikikaku. And uh, I don't recommend it. So. Don't use hotel irons. They will ruin your clothes. And don't use normal irons. You need a steam generator iron. I've got one here. If you are, oh, if you are listening to the show, and I will describe it. Um, this is a, a Philips steam generator iron. And it has a massive... Well, basically, it's kind of on a platform. You've got the iron bit, and then underneath it sits on this vessel, which is full of the water... And steam generator irons are completely different to normal irons. And the reason why is that the plate, the iron bit, does not get hot, okay? Which means that when you're ironing, it, it doesn't, the steam generator iron, it, steam generator iron will not sit up like a normal iron does. When you are resting it, you actually leave it face down. You can leave the iron face down on the ironing board. You can leave the iron face down on the clothes for two hours and it won't make a difference. And the reason why is that the plate does not heat up independently. All it is is a mechanism through which steam is pumped. So steam generator iron looks like a normal iron, but all you're doing is steaming your clothes. It's not a hot plate. Now, the advantage of that steam, lots of hot steam gets rid of creases. Plus, it's basically hot water. So you are drying your, you're not drying, you're ironing your clothes with steam, with, with hot water. So therefore, it's very gentle on all fabrics. So with a steam generator iron, you can iron silk, you can iron polyester, you can iron heavy cotton sheets, all materials. The Renault, on this particular device, which is a Philips, um, the Renault, there are no settings that you need to change. So you don't have hot, cold, medium, intermediate. It just, it's steam. There are no settings, which I find very liberating and very exciting. Um, are there any downsides? Not really. Um, it's not great if you're in a hurry because when you turn it on, you need it needs two minutes to heat up. And sometimes if you want to get ironing, that can be slightly inconvenient. But um, I think that's a small complaint to make. And... The end results are great. So amazingly beautiful pressed clothes, but preserved. No more shiny finish on your cotton suit. Very quick as well. Crazily quick. And also I find quite meditative, quite therapeutic using a steam generator iron because it just it puffs this steam out. It's like a steam engine and they vary in price. Now, I can't lie. They're more expensive than a normal iron. I got this one for about £125 which sounds like a lot of money. You'll be amazed to hear that that's cheap for a steam generator iron, but it absolutely does the job. Um, mine is a slightly more compact model because I don't have space for a big one. Some of them are ginormous. Uh, I mean, if you've got space, you can do one that almost like they use in, in sort of, you know, on film sets and in theatres, which sort of hangs on a hook. Uh, but this one is very much a sort of standard iron. It's basically, it looks like a normal iron and it just sits, it just sits on a base, which is where the water's kept. And that's how I like it. It's compact, 
very powerful, very efficient, and it's safe. The kids aren't going to burn themselves on it. Great for the elderly. The other nice thing is that the iron itself is not very heavy because it doesn't contain any gubbins to heat up. There's no element in there. It's it's just the hot steam. And you can also buy a travel one, um, which is kind of a hand steam dryer. Philips, again, do, I do think, I can't lie, Philips do the best steam generator irons. T-Fal are great. I think there's a Russell Hobbs one, but I swear by the Philips. I think Philips are brilliant for shavers and for steam generator irons. I think they've, I think they're top of the field. Just my opinion. We'll, we'll do uh, razors on a future show, but give it a go. It will change your life. Once you've done a steam generator iron, you will never go back. You're just pumping steam into your clothes. It is a thing of beauty. Right. Um, we are nearly there. I've just got one other thing I want to say, and that's my inspirational message of the day. And it's this good is good enough. Right? Whatever you're doing in your life, is it good enough? Job done. Good is good enough. So, for example, William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, Woody Allen, Elton John. They've all got one thing in common. They were not perfectionists. I know this will amaze you. Shakespeare, the greatest author in history. Charles Dickens. All these people have had great, great success with a massive body of the work, body of work. And the reason why is because they just they just put the material out. So Shakespeare, the reason why he had so many plays is that he had a theatre company to maintain. And what he needed is every year he needed to put a new play on that people would buy tickets to see. And that kept his theatre company going. So he had to keep churning out plays. And we think of him as a great artist, but Shakespeare didn't wait for inspiration. He's like, I need another play and I need it by October. And he churned it out. Now, yeah, he was a talented guy and it was amazing work. But Shakespeare did not sweat over the small stuff. He put out those plays thick and fast. Bang, 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 bang. Same with Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens, the reason why his books are very readable is that they were um, released, certainly the early ones, episodically. So they, they were actually published in magazines. And so each week you'd read the magazine and you'd get another chapter of a of a um, Charles Dickens book. So he, he wrote for a magazine format in which each chapter was going to be an article in the magazine. And the idea is that you wanted to know what was going to happen next week. So you bought the magazine. And that's why he just produced a lot of material and he had to hit deadlines. And if you look at the amount of work he's done, you can quite clearly see, I mean, absolute genius. Yes, but not a perfectionist, just volume, volume, volume. Why? Because for Shakespeare and for Dickens, good was good enough. If they'd been perfectionists and it had to be perfection, you wouldn't have all of those hundreds of plays and books from these great people. Um, Elton John's another example. Uh, this guy in the early 70s was churning out two studio albums a year, right? A full, complete album like Goodbye Elliot Road just every six months. What the hell? Uh, Elton John, I mean, I consider him to be a musical genius. He's my hero. I will, you know, Elton's going to come up once or twice in this podcast. There's nothing I'm preoccupied with Elton. I think we might do an Elton special one day, which will receive very low ratings, but it will make me feel good. EJ can do no wrong. But um, what's interesting about how he works, right? This guy, he gets lyrics from his lyricist, Bernie Taupin. And 
he looks at the lyrics right and if he hasn't got if he doesn't get like inspiration within about half an hour he just throws it away he's like nah, it's not happening I don't, he literally will not spend longer than half an hour on a song so songs like davy johnston his lead guitar claims that don't go breaking my heart was written in less than 15 minutes beg your pardon what the hell uh, I believe that Candle in the Wind took less than half an hour to write. Now, Candle in the Wind, right? This is a pretty epic song. The original um, was 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 massive. 1974, it came out. And that's a. I think we can all agree Candle in the Wind is a very good composition. Can we all agree that it's, you know, even if you don't like Elton, you do like Elton. Can we just agree that Candle in the Wind is a solid product? Um, less than half an hour. You'd think he'd spent six months on it. No. And as I say, if it's more than half an hour, an hour, he's out of there. We're not we're not doing this. He's had an OK career. Um, No nonsense. Uh, He, for example, once he's written the songs and he lays down the vocal and does the piano work, he's out of that studio. He does not hang around. The producer does all the rest of it for weeks on end with overdubs and God knows what else. Uh, Elton's, you know, he's on the road. Why? Because he's not a perfectionist, right? Not micromanaging, but look at the career. Look at the body of work. Woody Allen, Woody Allen, um, certainly before the pandemic and before some of his sort of personal scandals, Woody Allen famous for a film a year. Now, who the hell makes a film a year? There are endless numbers of Woody Allen films. And he's described himself in his book, which is called Apropos of Nothing, as an anti-perfectionist. He said, I'm an anti-perfectionist. And what he means by that is that, uh, well, yeah, he, he just churns it out. And yet some of the best films ever made. Annie Hall, Manhattan. These are masterpieces. Crimes and Misdemeanors, Husbands and Wives, Zelig, Sleeper. Uh, this guy has, whether you like him or not, a great body of work. And it's because it's fuss free. He writes it in the winter, shoots it in the summer. Bang, bang, bang. And you know what? Sometimes the movies are crap and sometimes they're great. But overall, at the end of a long career, there are more great ones than bad ones. Volume, volume, volume. Why did Woody Allen have so much success? Because good was good enough. Uh, What's the point in just having three, four, five films in your career? Woody's had, what, 30? The hit rate's going to be higher because if you've got the proportion of movies out of 30 that will be good is higher than four perfect ones. right? And then even then, half of those will probably be crap. So, you know, you need the volume and he he um is such an anti-perfectionist that he gets in trouble with his editor because sometimes when he shoots a film the editor says i need some i need some other angles i need some cutaways i need shots so that i can like build this scene and he's like oh i, I didn't record them i'm sorry I didn't, you know so he would literally film his films quite badly and not covering off some of the basics now that's not great but then he said actually the editor has to be creative and find workarounds to his terrible filmmaking but in the end, um, the results are clear for all to see. William Shakespeare, Elton John, Charles Dickens and Woody Allen. I think they're quite solid examples. Um, good is good enough. And that's the end of the show. It's been lovely to have your company. I will see you next time. And thanks for watching and or listening. <laughs>